Forgone and Doug Connolly work for Taylor Forgone Capital Management. All opinions expressed should not be relied upon for your individual investment advice. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Taylor Forgone Capital Management and its clients may maintain positions in securities discussed. If you are a Taylor Forgone client, please remember to contact Taylor Forgone in writing if there are any changes in your personal financial situation or investment objectives for the purpose of reviewing, evaluating, or revising our previous recommendations and or services, or if you would like to impose, add, or modify any reasonable restrictions to our investment advisory services. Welcome again to the Along Only Podcast. I'm Doug. I'm Jerry. We're here to talk about, well, business, the markets, and our outlook, really mostly Jerry's outlook on it because no one will listen to a podcast with my outlook on things. We normally say we do our audio check with the test, 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 but this week we should have done trust, 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 as in Liz Trust, because <laughs> she's, <laughs> she's, she's gone. In another, in a grand opening, grand closing mo- moment, she is. She's no Maggie Thatcher. She outlasted William Henry Harrison, basically, <laughs> uh, by two weeks. So, it's not just the reversal. I don't have any thoughts on, I mean, really, I'm a classic, ugly American. I really don't, I don't like going outside the country. I don't like, I don't, I barely like leaving the state. So I uh, pay some attention to these kind of things, but fortunately my, my boss does. But I think I don't, I'm not speaking for you when I say that it's not Liz Trust leaving the revert. The more important reversal is the the larger reversal of Great Britain from adopting the pro-growth policies to quickly canning them. Yeah, which we had said just as recently as a few weeks ago was a, re- a great sign. Exactly. Um, and, and and the about face and then the new, I understand, I'm not sure this is, I have this verified, but I understand billionaire prime, potential prime minister is uh, is already vowing not to, not just to undo the, the pro-growth measures that Trust was talking about doing, but to <laughs> raise taxes. So, we have another neo-Keynesian. Okay, uh, and on that on that note, this is always something I found interesting. But you know, while these may, these may be politicians that I generally am on the side of, you know, without getting too political. But you ever notice that even like the sort of the the iconoclasts is it a little bit of a disturbing sign in America that the the uh, the iconoclasts, the furniture breakers, people like you know. Ted Cruz, Glenn Youngkin, like Ted Cruz's wife worked at Goldman Sachs, Glenn Youngkin Boo. worth $400 million, Carlisle Group. Like the, these are the people who are breaking furniture, you yeah. know? And so it's, it's again, my, my personal feelings about their policies my, and, and them aside, it does, the fact that the rebels are so embedded with, with Wall Street, I don't necessarily find is a particularly encouraging sign in, in and of itself. But anyway. Well, and we, I mean, you know, one could argue, well, we're just, you know, <laughs> jealous. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's, you know, in one sense, there's plenty of good people in those organizations and, and there's things that they do that are good. It's just more and more, it's getting difficult to watch the big versus middle and small. And, you know, certainly we're a, we're a small operation by comparable standards. Um, well, when you're finding these groups like Goldman Sachs and McKinsey that seem to have sort of export leadership on sort of an outsized basis, yeah. I think that does seem to be that that in and of itself is a little bit of a, like, get your antenna up. Yeah. So now I th- I, the only person I know who worked for McKinsey, I think it was a very honorable person that I, that I know personally. So, but, but I'm sure there were honorable. Yeah, I'm sure lots of, lots of them, but um, that's uh, just, just an, just an aside. 
So anyway, we're, we're obviously billionaires are smarter than the rest of us. So they need to be given control of everything, right? <laughs> yeah, that's frightening, isn't it? Yes. So nothing anyway. against billionaires. I hope we, I would like to see lots of billionaires, but yeah, it, it, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm definitely not versed enough in UK politics to know exactly how this gentleman reached the place he's at. Well, the point is, is that Great Britain is reversing from pro-growth. It is. And that that's unfortunate and just solidifies that I said neo-Keynesians and, you know, I'll define that again is, and, and I say neo-Keynesians because nowadays what's considered Keynesianism, which for those that don't know, Lord Keynes was a, a proponent of uh, fiscal type of measures in order to affect economic growth, particularly spending. But um, I think he would be turning his grave about what some of the things are that are, you know, done in his name, if you will. Um, like what, nine, are we nine or $10 trillion in spending over the last few years um, on this debacle that we called COVID? Um, that is, that is, a, that is just problem. It's problematic. And so I said neo-Keynesians because they, the idea is that they think that, for example, our federal reserve is fully in the camp of thinking that we need to kill the economy raise unemployment, you know, in other words, kill employment in order to fight inflation as if inflation is caused by people working. Um, it's just not the case, but they somehow refuse to acknowledge that maybe printing, you know, 42% growth in the amount of money supply that was out there in, in the last few years was something that, uh, might cause inflation, especially when you shut the economy down. We, I'm going to keep saying that like a broken record because it's just so absurd. Um, and it doesn't take PhDs to understand that that's just not going to play out well. And it hasn't. But even in the midst of all this, we are continuing with our own data points to see business does continue. It's, it doesn't stop just because the administration isn't doing what we like. The government isn't doing what we like. And I think it's going to be really difficult to extrapolate the past and more historical norms of what will cause, what generally causes recession, um, what helps fuel growth in this environment where we're still trying to recover from this shutdown of what was it, a year and a half or something like that, where, you know, business wasn't able to be done in any way, shape or form normally. And we're trying to, we're still recovering from that. And so, factoring that into the equation of what might be normal business cycles is really hard to do because we could be, you know, as, as you're seeing supply chains slowly heal, there's lots of, of, you know, pent up needs out there, which by the way, and unfortunately central banks, the world over believe that that's inflationary. Well, no, it's not. Um, in fact, quite the contrary, that's what we need to sop up some of this money supply. Is, is more business activity. Um, and look, we're, we were proponents for the longest time that 0% interest rates for as long as they were 0% was a bad thing. And it has been that, that general trend for the last, you know, 20-ish years um, is, part, is why we got into this mess. And, and just to reiterate what we've said before, what we're experiencing right now with the Fed likely overshooting on raising interest rates, which has real effects on, on, on you know, people's pocketbooks, um, is it's, it's, 
it's problematic that they are thinking in terms of that economic growth is, is going to further fuel inflation. It just is. And so we, we want to see economic growth. And I think we're going to get it whether it looks like we should or not because of that healing process in the supply chain. Well, part of it is the U.S., the dollar is kind of like a microcosm of this, but the U.S. is the, you know, the last drunk standing in a lot of ways, the dollar being stronger than all other, all other currencies. And we're seeing some of that also in, in global politics writ large, as bad as the U.S. is in a lot of fronts. Uh, China, the ascended China, is probably taking a step back. I think China, this, with Xi being given his historic third term, um, is is a big problem for China. I think China has taken such a step backwards. It's unfortunate um, for people there. Uh, don't think that businesses are are going to be. I mean, there's no doubt there's dislocation going on. But businesses, and we talk to them all the time, are frantically you know getting out of there and moving to Vietnam and Thailand and even Japan and in their manufacturing efforts and, and, and onshoring and what they call nearshoring too, you know, bringing things home or bringing them closer to home and places like Mexico. Um, we think, I mean, and we're, we've talked about it before, but we're privy to a massive construction of a huge semiconductor plant just North of us in Anthem, Arizona, that Taiwan semiconductor is, is building. It's the largest construction project I've ever seen. And maybe it might be one of the largest construction projects in world history for all I know something like a thousand acres of manufacturing plant that's being built up there. Um, so clearly even Taiwan Semiconductor is, is you know, referencing the need to, to, to you know, get themselves out of reliance and, on just what they're doing there in Taiwan. And so business continues on though. And, and we are seeing signs from companies that we're talking to that while cautious, they are still driving forward with their innovation and you know, launching new products um, and and new new services that are that are in some ways revolutionary. We say new. A lot of these have been in development for a long time. You know, new to, new to the world the as far world, as yeah. the world getting getting access to them. Um, and so we we emphasize that in difficult times, uh, some of the best companies in the world in world history were created in the seventies, you know, is where, you know, the apples and the Microsofts and the Intels really were being born and, um, and went on to do some pretty amazing things. So, so we have to keep our eye on the, on the ball and on the prize, if you will. Um, think that that's very likely to be what, what gets us out of this mess, to be honest with you. I mean, is, Thankfully, that innovation doesn't cease. And that's what most, in fact, uh, we, were, we were commenting internally on a, a set of economic um, expectations that were coming from a, a reasonably well-known economist, and I won't get into names here, but uh, it was interesting because the, the general tone was, I wouldn't say negative, but sort of um, classic on the one hand, on the other hand, kind of economic double talk, if you will. Um, I would argue that any economic talk is double talk. Yeah, well, perhaps. But what was most notable was a major caveat. And and, and this, you know, you can read a, you know, 20 page article of deep thought, economic thought and expect, you know, 
expectations of what might happen or prognostications on what might happen. And then the big caveat is, but we just don't know what innovation might bring to the table. Well, if that's not the end all say all of what, of what, you know, generally speaking, economists who are backwards looking most of the time, um, you know, come up with, they, they, they just don't see. And, and most, most of us don't, don't see what is coming next that ends up driving uh, you know, driving the economy. So, I mean, people forget it. In 2007, which, you know, what is that now? 16 years ago, I guess, right? Um, 15 years ago. Almost 16 years ago. Soon to be 16 years ago. Soon after that, 17. Soon after that, 17. We hadn't had an iPhone yet. We, the iPhone came out that year. Um that's pretty amazing when you think about it. It's, it's not that long ago that we weren't even using those kinds of mobile devices. Um, and if we were, it was a much smaller scale. Uh, and so when you, when you look at things in that context, you think, okay, well, what's, what's coming along now that might 15 years from now be what we look back and say, wow, you know, isn't it amazing that we didn't have X you know, in 2022, late 2022. Um, we think a lot of that is going to be centered around, and we've said this many times too, blockchain and, and the crypto world and distributed computing, and kind of a return to the, or a back to the future, if you will. And that, and it's kind of interesting how in computing, things tend to distribute and consolidate and distribute or distribute and centralize, distribute and centralize over and over again. So it's not new in that sense, but you know, with respect to the kind of things that we are, you know, functions that we rely on today from computing standpoint, where we think the cloud, quote unquote, which is centralized computing at its most extreme, um, would think that, well, what else can come of that? Well, how about cloud-like functionality, but it's distributed, (laughs) Um, which actually has a whole lot of security implications that make security better, that has uh, just the the, the, the ability to not have a few giant companies be so in control of data and, and compute, um, which is which where I think there's not too many people that wouldn't agree that right now that that's been somewhat problematic for society, <laughs> that we've got, uh, you know, a little bit too much control by some of these gigantic cloud, hyperscale cloud companies. And, and companies aren't comfortable with that. The ones that use those services, a hybrid model, it's like, okay, I'll put my least important stuff that's, you know, doesn't have a whole lot of, issues of having to get to super fast. So low latency isn't as important. Let me, meaning if I need to have something number crunched quickly, I don't, I, I, that, that's considered to be um, low latency. So if it's high latency stuff, I don't need it right this second. I can put it in the cloud and it's not that important, but other, other functions are happening back again, happening close to the, to the source on, on your own device or on other people's devices. Um if it is if it isn't requiring low latency on other people's devices, but that are spread around the world, that's a, a distributed system. And we've talked about our company Otoy and their render network that is, uh, you know, providing a system that will allow for for computer graphics rendering jobs to be done on, on literally on computers, iPhones, iPads, all around the world. In fact, they just had an announcement on that in the last couple of days. So these are the things that will drive us forward. I'm interesting. I want to go back to what you said about China, though, because obviously we're not a world affairs podcast, but I'm curious just 
how much of an opportunity did the United States miss with regards to closing the gap on China or widening the gap, depending on whether you think we're ahead or not, uh, in various, whether economically or militarily. I'm reading a book by a former McCain advisor. I'm plowing through it because well, he's a former McCain advisor. So I'm only so, <laughs> I'm only so uh, motivated to believe everything he says. But I do think he, they paint a very sobering picture of the U.S. military readiness with, with regard to China. This is written, though, way, 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 way back in April of 2020. So <laughs> imagine how much has changed since then. Uh, and the, the book wasn't, you know, wasn't overly, um, you know, in the bed. I think it was relatively, it's been relatively bipartisan so far. I think there's a lot of things that people could, from both parties could take home. Uh, the biggest thing is that we, our platforms, our military platforms are behind. And China has, has increased its civilian unrest and its economy has been hurt. I mean, imagine the, the mistakes we made with COVID, which China's made magnitudes greater, include starting it. Um, so the, and what a golden opportunity are, we've missed, at least at the very least militarily, to, you know, again, widen the gap, close the gap with China that's going to be, that we're neutering our military. So, Well, so I don't profess to be a military expert or a China expert in any way, shape, or form, but I, I think just... The fact that China is taking a move further towards um, totalitarian control and kind of turning its back on free enterprise, um, the the Deng Xiaoping model is being turned on its head, really, I think, right now. While in some ways that's scary, just like the reasons why the Soviet Union ended up collapsing is the system doesn't work. Um, and it just they, hasn't been tried the right way yet, Jerry. <laughs> yeah. Well, it doesn't work and it could be painful and hopefully, you know, mistakes aren't made along the way that make it so that something horrible happens um, with respect to you know, nuclear use and what have you. But I, I think that it will fall on now under the weight of its own debacle of, you know, one man rule or one one party rule back to the, the, the complete control of, of economic activity, I think is coming in, in, if it's not already well, now well entrenched in China. And it, I mean, you just look at what's happening in their stock market. It's just collapsing. And, it, and we're talking about being back to like 1995 levels. Um, it may be, they don't have a stock market in another year or two, if this continues at the pace that it is. And what United States will be around to witness the carnage, though? You know, not that we were suffering on the Chinese people, but the the, the CCP is going to have to have a reckoning for what it's done. And some of those do include the Chinese people inflicting it on the inflicting that kind of um, hellscape on upon itself. But what's you know in, in nineteen in nineteen ninety one, whatever, when the Soviet Union collapsed, there was this, a, a a strong actual American America there, and now we're you know we are we are we're on the cusp of. There's there's positive signs. There's negative signs. You know, it's 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 so who knows what's going to be around to witness that to pick out the pieces for the world. in a lot well, of ways. I think it would be more comfortable if we could more comfortably it would be more comfortable if we could more comfortably um, say that you know, definitively we have a an advantage and that we and that we are we're moving in the right direction. But, you know again, not being an expert on what's happening militarily and what kind of programs are being done behind the scenes, just on the outside looking in, it just doesn't seem like we're quite on point anymore. And, 
yeah, again, take that for what it's worth. That's an amateur view. But, you know, from somebody who looks at business and economics and what's happening in markets and and that does include the defense industry, it does make me wonder if we're, you know, putting we've put ourselves in a position where, yeah, we can't take uh, take advantage or at least be, you know, the peace through strength model mm-hmm. doesn't seem to be as as obvious today as it once was. Um, that Then again, those things can change quickly. Um, and, you know, can get themselves righted. Uh, you know, I think there's probably a significant, as we say in so many cases, whether it's the companies we were just talking about earlier, surely there's good people in there. I think it's the same thing with, with the, the military. Um, you know, leadership may have gone awry here in the last few years, but uh, it doesn't mean it can't be turned around quickly. And I, and I think that's, that correction is probably coming too. Um, so we'll see. We'll just have to see. It, it would be preferable to be in a better spot from a strength standpoint, but uh, it is what it is. And I think regardless, the system that's being promulgated in uh, in China, is doesn't it doesn't work. And it, unfortunate for the people there, it, it, it's going to be painful, I think, for them for the, for the next few years. And we can't be fatalistic. And that's not me being optimistic. That's me being realistic because yeah. the – because there is so much, as I said, that things can turn on a dime so quickly we've seen in the world for good and for bad. And these things don't often, you know, trend upwards or downwards in a smooth line the way we we expect and where we extrapolate the future. I mean, that's, we, we continue to fail to account for the unexpected. For sure. And, and certainly the, there's, there's certainly change afoot in the world order whether it's just somewhat of an interruption of a trend or whether it's the sign of some ominous transformation that, that's taking place, uh, hard to say, but uh, in the interest of we get by in spite, <laughs> I think that's probably where I feel most comfortable, you know, staying is, you know, we still, we still have uh, plenty of opportunity and we'll just have to, you know, manage this and, and deal with what, you know, what comes at us as it comes at us. Like, it's just the same thing as what I said earlier with respect to the economy, extrapolating, you know, this, the past neatly into what's happening right now is something that I think probably is a mistake. And, um, that could well be the case with respect to what's happening on the geopolitical stage as well. Well, from an economic standpoint, from an investment standpoint, you have to be in the game to win the game. So definitely you can't, I mean, there's, and there's, frankly, there's nowhere to hide. I mean, you can't just turn it off and run away and hide under Robbie. You, know, you could, but that's not going to be a particularly great standard of living for you. So, um, you have to stay the course. You got to keep looking for new ideas when they happen. Uh, you know, keeping in mind that the world is going through some changes right now. Uh, and, you know, that, that informs our decisions on how we invest for sure, but it, it doesn't cause us to run for the hills. I think running for the hills in this environment might be the, might be the absolute worst thing you can do. I agree. And I better agree because I work for you. <laughs> no, you don't have to. I think that's true. That, that we've seen going to cash, sitting out in cash is, uh, it, it can work out very well for you if all goes well, but generally speaking, it's a fool's errand. So, 
it can work out really well for you if you're clairvoyant and can tell what's going to happen over short periods of time. But in the long run, it doesn't tend just, to work out. Just really pick the well. tops, pick the bottoms. That's all you have to do, Jerry. I know. I, I've easy. been told that. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, in uh, what we're going to do is we're just going to keep plowing away, and instead of picking the tops and bottoms, we're going to stay invested in good companies. Absolutely. Is it okay that I gave away a strategy? Yeah. No. <laughs> please give it away more. All right. Well, Jerry, we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us on the Long Only Thanks, Podcast. Doug.